is Developer SideQuest, the podcast, the show that highlights the different ways we all level up our software development skill set. I'm your party leader, Al Rodriguez, and today we're chatting with another player character, Jamie Taylor. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing today? Hey, Al. It's great to be here. I'm fantastic. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. So Jamie Taylor is a rogue, spending most of his time creating and learning as much about .NET and web technologies as he can, but has recently started learning to use Hugo, Flexbox Grid, and doing as much as possible without using the arcane and potentially self-destructive JavaScript. When not working or learning, he can be found giving talks or creating podcasts. He's a serial podcast creator. His podcasts, The .NET Core Show, The Waffling Taylors, and Ask a Brit can be found on all major podcatching services. And you can find him on Twitter at .NET Core Show. All right. So that's a, uh, that's a nice bio. And I got to say, um, it's a little... Uh, I don't want to say unnerving, but, you know, a little nervous for me having someone who seems to be very experienced with podcasting uh, on the show. So uh, hopefully I'm good. Now I'm nervous, unfortunately, but eh, this will be fine. <laughs> oh, you'll be fine. I mean, I I tend to sort of fall into it. Uh, I think uh, my friend James, who runs the Cynical Developer Podcast, has once said, your goal clearly is to be in the top five podcasts ever. And the only way you're going to achieve it is by continually creating more and more podcasts. <laughs> it's a it's a war of numbers there i see okay yes <laughs> uh, all right jamie so hey so tell me about your quest so what are you here to talk about so i i took a lot of time to sort of think about this i'm always constantly reevaluating where i want to go with my career and my life um and i started out you know back in 2000 oh my goodness yeah back in the year 2000 i was like i want to be a video games developer as i'm sure all all kids who get into kind of technology end up saying that they're like, oh, yes, I want to be a, a you know, a, a video games developer because that's where the money is and that's where the fun is. And I mean, it is where the money is kind of. And but, you know, there's a lot of stress involved in that. And I, I did actually attend a university um I did a, a degree in the UK um, on games development. So I've studied the whole stack, you know, from assembly all the way up to um, OpenGL and D DirectX and using all of the, uh, at the time, brand new um, dev kits for, you know, the the Xbox, the PlayStation 2, and the, the uh, what's it called, the Nintendo GameCube. I should know these things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I got out into the real world and thought, wow, games dev is hard, you know? <laughs> so... I ended up falling in love with uh, making the web server do crazy things and making websites do stuff that, you know, you wouldn't really think of being able to do. So then I transitioned over to let's do web stuff, you know, .NET on the server, JavaScript on the uh, on the client. And then I realized that as good as JavaScript is, and it is brilliant, I'm not a huge fan of it. You know, I like the sort of statically, t well, kind of statically typed C-sharp language. Let's do that. Um and then I ended up sort of walking, a, not necessarily walking away from it, because I'm still totally into .NET, and I definitely want to learn lots and lots and lots about .NET. Uh, but for a little while, I walked away from it and started looking into other uh, server-side languages and sort of got enamored by Hugo and started looking into the Jamstack, you know, JavaScript, APIs, and markup. And then .NET Core came along, and I was like, oh, Wow, this is this is gorgeous. I can do .NET on my Linux machine at home or on my Mac. This is amazing, and uh, yeah, so it's it's been all over the place really. But it's all been about uh, HTML, HTTP, and security and and server stuff 
that entire the quest going forward is um, servers and HTTP and supplying uh, APIs and websites that are secure using whatever technology is available. I mean, I'd rather not use JavaScript because, quite frankly, I'm not that great with JavaScript. I always get caught out by the double equals versus the triple equals and undefined and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I always get caught out by that. But, uh, yeah, maybe static generation of websites and um, and securing the server. That, that I think, is is my goal at the moment, yeah. Got it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, the... the- that type of uh, stuff just, you know, sounds great to me, right? The the whole separation of concerns. I, I'm a big fan also of, you know, .NET on the server and front-end side being, uh, you know, Jamstack pretty much also. So um, let's actually th- go ahead and define a couple of terms because you mentioned a few things there. Some I know, some I don't know. So uh, Jamstack, let's, uh, let's talk about what that is exactly. Okay, uh, so a lot of people have different definitions for this. Um, I'm going to fall on the uh, Joe Zach from Coding Blocks definition, and that's um, JavaScript and markup in the browser and an API to talk to. So uh, Jamstack can be thought of as kind of almost a static-like system. So I, I can build a static website that is just some HTML, and when the HTML loads, it loads some JavaScript into the browser, and that JavaScript will then talk to the server to do things and pull data back and display things on screen. So kind of like how a SPA or a single applica- single page application works, um, except that you still have that clicking this link will take me physically to another page, not do some kind of JavaScript routing inside of the inside of the client and then do some stuff to replace the, the, the DOM elements. It actually will take me from page one to page two, and page two's JavaScript is completely different to page one's JavaScript. And doing that allows you to, it's a, I mean, we've been doing this in web development since the 90s, but it's a perfect separation. You know, you, page one does not depend on page two, and page two does not depend on page one, you know? And that's how I like to think of it. Got it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and, and like you, I've, I've heard different, slightly different definitions of Jamstack from different people. You know, it's just one of those gen- generic terms. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I, I guess my my takeaway from from what you said mostly is, um, that it's static, or also is that it's it's static pages, that sort of thing. Also, not dependent on something the server generates, right? It's not server rendered. Is that kind of an, another uh, description? I realize that's not uh, anywhere near something that you had said, but as far as uh, that separation, um, is that also along those lines too? Sure. Yeah. I mean, definitely the way that I work through it. Um, so when I'm working with clients and they say to me, I need a brochure where website and I need it to have a CMS and I need it to do this, that, and the other. And they think, ah, right. I can spend two, three weeks wrangling with maybe, uh, Umbrico or Sitecore or, um, any other of these, uh, WordPress, something like that ghost, you know, playing around with these CMSs to try and build your website or, I can throw something together with FlexGrid and Bootstrap and have an API that I talk to or just a bunch of files on the server that I talk to that can then act almost like a CMS. Or I can include something like Netlify CMS, which is, I mean, I'm dropping a lot of names and hopefully folks won't think that I'm advertising for them. But, you know, Netlify have built this JavaScript-based CMS that you can attach to a a static um, website so the, the source code for your static website, put it through something like Hugo or Gatsby or any of those static site generators, and it will generate all of the pages and the links and the taxonomies and the tags and the categories, everything for you. 
with the click of a button. Not even a click of a button. You know, you just do uh, git push and then Netlify steps in and pulls the code, builds the thing and pushes it out. There's absolutely no effort involved. It's brilliant. Oh, that, that sounds amazing. So I've heard of Netlify before. Uh, I've never used it. I've I've gone to their website before and I thought, oh, this could be you know insanely useful for, for some things, for some sites. So um, so you're saying Netlify is uh, also a, a CMS in that regard? Uh, kind of. So um, Netlify have released a product called uh, Netlify CMS and you can hook it into their software or you can, you know, you can host it anywhere. Uh, one of the great things about um, Netlify services, from my point of view anyway, is that it's brilliant for when I'm doing uh, in-person demos and um, and maybe when I'm doing talks. So I have this talk that I do that uses the uh, .NET technology Blazor, which we can totally double back and talk about in a moment, where uh, Blazor allows you to essentially run .NET inside of the browser, kind of like how Silverlight did, but without the plugins required. And what's great about that is when you do a publish of a Blazor website, if you, depending on which uh, rendering technology you use, there's a couple of different caveats involved, but depending on which caveat you choose, when you do a publish, you get a static site out of it. So um, I've been doing talks where I'm talking away and I'm saying, and this is what's great about Blazor, and I'll go git push whilst people are watching, and a static site appears. You know, I don't need a, a powerful server to run my .NET powered website anymore. So yeah, it's it, it's not just their CMS. It's I mean there are there are other providers, of course. There's you know DigitalOcean and um, all sorts of people like that. You can go with Azure, you can go with Google Cloud, you can go with whoever you want, but that's what's great about it is you just dump a HTML file somewhere and then point it at an API and you're away. That's what I love about Jamstack. You don't have to really, there's no, there's no server side, anything, which makes it inherently a lot more secure than, you know, uh, not to say that Umbrico or WordPress or ghost or any of these other products are insecure. It's just, that's another attack vector that someone can use to get to your server and get to your site and take your website down and, you know, affect your brand essentially. Oh yeah, I I'm, I mean I have to say being a uh, huge fan of uh, Blazor myself, I'm I'm a big fan of of you know static front end sites and that kind of stuff. Mostly just because it it's uh, it's rare these days that you know we get a new technology and it feels much better than something before. And and what I mean by that in this scenario is uh, you know the the style of designing a purely front end thing. It very much is probably faster running in the browser in comparison to to something server side rendered, and that's I know that's not completely true. You know, just throwing things out there. But uh, you know, one of the other things you mentioned, security. Also, you have uh, less that you have to worry about in terms of generating the the front end uh, application, just less of an attack surface. Also, so just going with that, uh, just on a purely feels perspective uh, i'm i'm a big fan of of that type of stuff too the jam stack and um really just static front ends altogether mm -hmm. and i mean it's not sorry i was just gonna say it's not it's not <laughs> um new technology either this is how we used to make websites before we decided hey let's put all of this effort onto the server so it's like one of the things i always say to people when uh, i mean i don't really do mentoring but when people ask me for advice i always say Watch the technology trends because technologies are like revolutions. They come round again. Everything, you know, today's best practice is tomorrow's worst practice, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was, um, you know, just kind of similar to this. I was talking to someone a while ago uh, about um, 
IoT edge, you know, that, that phrase and what that means. And, you know, traditionally we had, you know, all, all of our code was running on, you know, on-prem essentially, right? You know, on a desktop application. Uh, and then we kind of moved away to web development slash app development, right? We we're doing a little bit on the client, on the actual device itself, but a lot of stuff is happening on the server. And now we've moved to IoT Edge sort of stuff where, well, we're we're pushing that code just for performance reasons instead of being on the server to back onto the device for, you know, other reasons, uh, performance and that kind of stuff. And that is a whole circle and things have changed slightly, but for the most part, those concepts are exactly the same. And yeah, it's a, we'll, we'll see how long until that circles around back again. Yeah. I mean, you just have to look at things like, um, is it the Google Chromebook and how they are essentially, you know, the dumb terminals of the sixties and seventies that connect to a server to pull all of that data down to be able to do your, you know, your your documents or your YouTube or whatever app you're using on your local machine, but it's all held on the server in the cloud. And that is essentially the dumb tunnels from the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. Oh, yeah, that is a perfect example. And then vice versa, Chromebooks are also adding, uh, you know, Android applications too, right? So there's that, you know, there, there's pros and cons to everything. So that's, that's why we keep uh, circling around. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, so you had also mentioned two other tools, Gatsby and Hugo. Now, I've heard of these tools, but I've never actually looked into them. So what, what are they exactly? Okay, uh, so Gatsby and Hugo are part of a whole family of um, static website generation tools. Um, I have a little bit more experience with Hugo than I do Gatsby, um, and that's essentially personal preference because, like I said earlier, that sort of fear of getting something wrong in JavaScript Um so the difference is that Hugo uses the Go programming language and Gatsby uses uh, Node.js. But you don't have to interact with either of those technologies on your machine in order to um, create sites or applications with either of those two technologies, if that makes sense. So you don't have to write a single line of Go or JavaScript if you don't need to. So uh, there's a bunch of websites that I've built with uh, Hugo that are literally just either a single page or a bunch of connected pages. Um, and essentially the way that works is you give it a bunch of Markdown files, and I'm a huge fan of Markdown, um, and you describe maybe one or two relationships between those. So you might have, um, and let's talk about if it's a blog, you might say that um, page one and page two have um, tags for uh, Hugo and maybe um, CMS and Markdown, but page three only has Markdown. And it will create all of the links for you and just dump out essentially the, the bare bones HTML required to run that website, if that makes sense. So when you do Hugo serve or Gatsby run or something, you'll get essentially a dist folder that has the root directory for a website as if you had handcrafted each of those pages in HTML. So it takes away that sort of boilerplate requiring you to, to sort of hand wire each page and glue them all together and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Okay. Got it. So that sounds incredibly useful for uh, generating those sites. So um, minimum work on your end, but it sounds like it gives you the power to be able to add whatever extra you know code and that kind of stuff that you want to 
to add to your your applications. Yeah, definitely. So like uh, like I said earlier on, if I if I have a client who approaches me and says, I want a website to show off my business, you know, I'll ask them a lot of sort of probing questions. What do you need from your website and things? And I'm working on a few at the moment that are essentially brochure websites, you know, and that's not that's not to uh, reduce what they're looking for. And, and I'm not trying to say that brochure websites are in any way less important than, say, a full-blown web app, like, say, uh, Netflix or uh, YouTube or anything like that. But sometimes you just need something a little simple like a like a brochure website. And uh, when I've talked to them about it, I've thought to myself, well, I don't want a powerful server because then I've got to maintain that server. Um, and again, it's a security hole. But what I can do is I can get Hugo running and I could do this in moments. I could pull down Hugo, pull down a template, and there are hundreds of templates already created. Or you can create your own based on if you want to use Flex or you want to use Bootstrap or um, I'm trying to think of any others. <laughs> I can't really think of any other front end CSS libraries. But you know, you could pull in all of these things. Um, put the correct handlebar syntax in for this is where the main body goes, this is where the blog post goes, this is where, and you use uh, partials in the same way that you would with uh, ASP.NET MVC. We use this handlebar syntax to include them, and you hit go, and it just dumps out all of these pages. You've already designed the look and feel in the template, and you're just providing you're just providing the new content that you want to plug into each page. You hit Hugo serve, or you hit uh, Gatsby run or build or whatever the command is. I can't remember off the top of my head. And you get, like I say, you get a directory with all of this stuff and you can include your own custom JavaScript files, um, font awesome or other things like that. Um, usually they'll have um, in the config areas, they'll have a line where you put in the Google analytics key. If you want to do that, it is so simple just to build up these sites with a single, single command. It's brilliant. Wow. Okay. So um, just kind of bringing everything together from what you just mentioned. So as far as going from, you know, creating this, this application to it being hosted online, I'm guessing that you, you start with those tools, uh, you know, Hugo and Gatsby, you probably start with the template that exists. You make any changes that you need to make, you know, adding pages, adding images, that kind of stuff. And then, um, that's probably pushed out to some sort of Git repo like GitHub or something. And then I'm assuming that somewhere you have some sort of automated deployment pipeline that Netlify knows about in a sense. Sure. Um, so yeah, let's use Netlify as an example because I've more experience with those, but you can use Azure or you can use uh, Google Cloud or you can use um, you know any of these providers, DigitalOcean, all of these kinds of things because um, – your source control provider, let's say it's Git, so let's say it's GitHub or Bitbucket or any of those sort of systems, Git comes with this idea of a, a of a hook. So a hook is a a way of running an arbitrary command when a when a push or a pull request or any kind of action like that is completed. So you can say um, on uh, on push on merge to master, I want you to call this API. And then the API will do something. So you can write an API that receives a message from your Git hook. And I actually did this as part of a, a hackathon that I attended with a number of friends a few years ago. You write a, an API that sits on a server somewhere. So Netlify has already handled this for you. Azure handles this for you. Google Cloud handles, handles this for you. DigitalOcean, all of these providers have these things already in place. And they hide all of the complexity for you. But you essentially write an API that sits on a server and 
you tell your source control provider, when I do a merge to master, call this API. When the API receives the message, it then goes, brilliant, I will do a git checkout. I'll look through the source code and do whatever build action I need to do. Maybe I need to do npm install. Maybe I need to do um, .NET publish. Maybe I need to do, uh, you know, whatever technology it is. It can You can make your API do whatever it needs to. You can make your API figure out what technology it needs to use. It then does, does its thing to build the software. And then you can have the API then go, right, I now have a folder full of files. I want to push this to another server, maybe FTP, maybe um, just sort of dumping it onto a, a directory, or maybe I could just serve it from here. And the reason that I chose Netlify is because literally, you know, I have I have stuff in GitHub and Bitbucket. I literally open up Netlify, I click the Bitbucket button, I choose the repo, and it handles everything for me in the same way that Azure will and Google Cloud and and DigitalOcean. You know, I'm not trying to pick on one provider out of all of the others because they're all as awesome as each other. They all handle this. But yeah, as soon as I do a Git push and merge it into master, this system, wherever it is that is that is that is running this API, picks that up. It's informed, hey, there was a change made to master pull the code and do whatever it is that the config file or the run script file or whatever says to do. And it is just magical because I could be working on a site, do a git push, push F5 in my in my browser, pointing at the real URL, and my changes are just there. It's it's wonderful. That is a, a an awesome, you know, chain of the the applications and they all you know they all have their own uh, perfect spot for when to you know when they should be run and uh in terms of what they do right every every tool does its one thing really well from from that so awesome so when you were when you were starting out with this uh you know creating these applications and and really just learning uh what what did you learn essentially like what was surprising about this what did you not expect to learn when you f- uh first started out you know with creating these types of applications with these uh with these tools Sure. Um, So if we dial back to, say, summer last year, so summer 20, what are we, 2019 now? So summer 2018, um, the role that I was in at that time, I was working as essentially the DevOps person for the company. So I was building up uh, continuous integration and continuous deployment tools for everyone to use. And whenever a new project was started, I'd get given uh, a version of the brief. And it would be, hey, you, you, we're going to use .NET Core, we're going to use Angular, we're going to use Docker, we're going to use this uh, server application, we're going to push to maybe DigitalOcean, or we're going to push to Azure, or we're going to push to Google Cloud. And then it was my job to set up essentially the build pipeline and uh, the build pipeline and continuous delivery pipelines for all of the um, environments. And so I got really kind of not quick, but pretty fast. I guess, and there's a there's a difference there in my opinion in that someone who's really quick at something could do it in moments, and someone who's fast at something, maybe I've got those words the wrong way around, but maybe who's fast at something is is kind of okay. I'll get there in half an hour. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sort of futz around for two hours and figure it out. Eventually, I had this uh, script that I would run. Um, it was a .NET Core um, uh, application that I would run, put a few values in, and everything would sort of pop out the other end. And I was building up these continuous delivery tools and, you know, they're pretty complex. You know, this one may be calling out to some API over over here on this service and then it's got to call that API and 
if either of the APIs are down, the whole build system crashes or, you know, if someone is is writing some code that doesn't get doesn't pass quality checks for our release pipeline, then the whole thing falls over. Or you know, if this if this technology isn't installed and available on the target server, the whole thing falls down. And it was really complex. These were these were you know enterprise level applications that required a lot of thought and a lot of planning went into it. And then I found Jamstack, and I was like, oh, wow! I can you mean I literally push this button and I do a git push and it just works. And that was it. It just works, you know, and I love it when technology just sort of comes together and makes it all simpler. You know, I just Hugo new or Gatsby new, git push, done. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, I mean, and, and that's surprising, right? You know, mm. it's, it's rare that all of a sudden one of those things just is a, a, a nice big, hey, this is immediately easier. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, you, when you've come from this sort of huge enterprise background and you're waiting two, three weeks for a server to be built and uh, put into rotation and given an IP address and had all the security systems in place, and you just literally go, click, wow, there it is. There's my website. I've even got a URL. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Mm. Uh. All right. So um, I guess we can go ahead and kind of start wrapping this up. Um, so before we leave, um, what's next for you? What else? What are you looking at next as far as what to learn uh, and all of that? Are you going to be expanding on this set of skills or are you going to jump onto something else? Well, you see, I, I've had to think long and hard about this. I, I mentioned earlier on about I want to think, think really long and hard about my career. I don't want to take just sort of roll with the punches. I want to be able to go, right, in two years, I'm going to be doing this. In five years, I'm going to be doing this. And, um, you know, I have I have three goals for the um, for the next two years and then a couple of goals for the next few years that are a bit more um, sort of wishy-washy, a bit vague. But for the next couple of years, you know, I want to I want to know what it is to be a software architect. So I want to be able to to know what skills are required to go. All right. I see you want to build this application. So you're going to need these hundreds of you know hundreds of cycles of server time and you're going to need an application on this format and you're going to need iOS for this and you know all that kind of knowing how to build it from the 10,000 foot level rather than I'll work on this page and I'll work on this functionality you know in bits um, and I want to know how to get that all in my head straight in my head before I start the whole system and on top of that as part of that one I want to know how to pen test it as well so I've got this 10,000 foot view, this this sort of 10,000 foot map of the entire system. And I want to know how to sort of poke holes in it and go, right, if I was a malicious actor, I'm going to go poke a hole in that bit, or I'm going to go poke a hole in that bit. So how do I, how do I protect against those malicious actors? You know, I don't want to be a hacker, but I do want to boost the security of, of every app that I work on, even if it's just a tiny little amount. And you can see this in some of the uh, open source stuff that I do. So um, I have this uh, ASP.NET Core middleware um, NuGet package that you can pull down, that which adds OWASP recommended headers to increase the security of your website if you are using server-side um, HTML generation. So... Um, so I've added some things like that. I've written about how to do this if you're doing it manually as well. Um, so yeah, I want to sort of try and help and uh, you know boost the security of of applications by looking at it from a ten thousand foot view. And that you know the main reason for that is you've got to look at the past maybe 
two or three years, you've had a huge amount of um, you know public data breaches and public security issues by our websites where maybe the decision was made, we can do this quickly, or maybe there's some kind of politics there. I don't know what the situation is, but a lot of these things can be, you know, stopped with really relatively simple fixes, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. And and especially as time goes on, you know, now we're, we're seeing that more often in the sense that they're, they're becoming visible and they've probably always happened in the same amount of frequency, but now uh, they're just a lot more, you know, in the news. And as a result, um, it's something that we definitely as technology professionals need to get uh, better about and, and thinking about things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's definitely a, a a great set of next steps, right? Something you know we should all at least think a little bit more about every day as much as we can. Definitely, so. I mean, especially when um, I've been in meetings before. I won't say who I've worked with at the time, but I've been in meetings before when you know the decision has been made from the the project owner. Can't we just make it work first and then make it secure afterwards? And I've said to them, okay, I tell you what, here's a house without a lock on it, with a great big hole in the wall move all of your your uh, private possessions into this house then tell me afterwards can we brick up the wall and put a lock on the door you know and and it's kind of scary but we need to be in a position where we can push back because we're the experts you know we're the ones who when it all goes wobbly and and someone gets in trouble it's us that will get in trouble it won't be the project owner it won't be and this is a bit ranty and a bit politically but it's us that will get in trouble we're the ones that will get fired not the CEO, not the project owner, not the project manager. We're the ones who'll get fired. So we need to take that responsibility and say, look, I can make it really insecure, but I need a piece of paper from you that says I won't get fired when we get hacked. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely true. And we, we do need to protect ourselves, mm-hmm. too, definitely, uh, when doing that. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind if, uh, if I'm ever in that position where I need to <laughs> well, do that. Let's hope you're never in that position. Oh, fingers crossed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Jamie. So uh, before we go ahead and leave, uh, let's uh, tell everyone, where can people find you online? Uh, okay, yeah. So I'm I'm really active on Twitter. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time. Uh, it's where I get most of my links for things that I should know about. Um, so I post a lot of uh, technology, web, and .NET related things on my at uh, .NET Core show account. So if you're into .NET, uh, .NET Core, or web stuff, check that one out. But I also uh, post alongside my brother on the uh, Waffling Tailors Twitter account. So that's at Waffling Tailors. I can send you links for these. Uh, but that one's mo- mo- excuse me. But that one's mainly about video games. So if you're into video game nonsense, uh, so today, um, you know, as we're recording earlier today, I was playing the Resident Evil 2 board game with my brother. So we tweeted a few pictures of, you know, the progress of the game and things like that. Um, And we tweeted a few um, quotes from when we were playing around with this new technology we'd be playing with. So, you know, if you want to learn about the video game journeys that we're taking, that one, uh, but mostly .NET and technology-related things are on the at .NET Core Show uh, Twitter account. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, um, but that's mostly there for posting into communities. I don't really post anything myself onto my feed or wall or whatever noun they use for that. I don't know what they call it, but that's mostly to keep up with other people I know in different uh, technology communities and just to see how everyone is. So it's a bit like, I use it a little like Facebook groups, I guess. 
And uh, but yeah, Twitter is probably the best bet to find me, I guess. Uh, so yeah, dot net core show. Uh, that's probably the best place to find me. Okay, perfect. And I'll go ahead and make sure that we have links to all of that stuff in the show notes. So uh, anyone listening, if you're interested, just go ahead and find those show notes and uh, click away. All right, Jamie. So good luck on all of your future quests and really hope to have you back uh, on the show someday to talk about everything you've learned since then and all the cool loot you've plundered. And until next time, everyone, you can find this show on Twitter. We are at DevSideQuests, or you can go to our website, developersidequestpodcast.com. And if you could please rate this show and whatever pod listening enchantment you subscribe to, do that too. Uh, all feedback is welcome. All right, everyone, go work on a quest. 